This podcast is brought to you by UK Coaching, here for the coach. Visit ukcoaching.org to grow your coaching skills and be part of the community. Okay, so welcome to another UK Coaching podcast. Um, This is another Coach Developer podcast. And this time I'm going to be talking to Lena Krauss, who's um, based in Edinburgh doing her PhD. And um, a little bit of background behind this one before I ask Lena to introduce herself. We're going to talk about... um, feeling safe participating in sport or coaching as a woman and um, I originally got in touch with Lena because we're mutually sort of connected on social media through our paddle sports engagement and through coaching paddle sports and Lena had shared a um, an article that was about runners in Wales so women running in Wales and not feeling safe running and uh, I was just really um, really impressed with the way Lena had engaged and what she had shared. So I got in touch with her. It was quite a while ago to ask her if she would do this podcast. So welcome, Lena. Thank you so much for agreeing to talk to me today. Hiya. Thanks for having me. <laughs> You're very, very <laughs> welcome. <laughs> could, you, could you give us a quick introduction to yourself? Yeah. So basically, I just do any sports on and off water that you know, I can just do with nice people, um, mainly paddling. So lately I've been mostly uh, surf ski paddling off the coast of Scotland, the North Sea. Um, I started out as a slalom paddler in Germany, and then I also lived in Cornwall and did marathon kayaking. Um, Love doing the DW and hope that can go ahead again soon. Um, And yeah, I mean, this whole topic around access and access barriers is just really important to me so I'm happy to get a chance to talk about it. Great thank you I am I'm just rising down here and I'm so impressed with the DWD so anyone who doesn't understand that devises Westminster race and is a serious race. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Fabulous and I'm looking forward to catching up with you sometime we had a quick chat beforehand and uh, uh, my son lives very close, so I've already I've already said to Lena I'm going to come and do some surf, some surf kayaking with her up in Scotland. Yeah, so, let's go surf skiing. Definitely. So <laughs> back up, back on track. Um, mm-hmm. I'm really interested in just why you felt um, that that article you shared resonated so much, and sort of what prompted you really to start that conversation around. Um, how important it was to feel safe as a woman in public places. So this, and, and just for, um, this was quite a while ago, wasn't it? I think it was it January? Yeah, yeah, this article's from February, so I think it was early February. Um, and I really started, I mean, I've always been comparatively outspoken, I would say. Um, also on, you know, just fairness, as a small child, even when I didn't understand the implications of, you know, some people have a voice, some people don't, who's left out, who isn't. Um, I was just, you know, in conflict with teachers and stuff. Fairness was kind of my thing. Um, And then when the Me Too thing happened, the Me Too campaign, that's the first time I spoke up about kind of, you know, like sexualized abuse, um, etc. And since then, I've just kind of, I mean, and that's the same with this article. It's just like other women talking about their experience kind of gives the courage to 
talk about your own. So I think Me Too was so central because it took away some of the stigma and the shame around it. Because if you're the only one, it's easier to somehow feel it's your fault. Um, and it was similar with this article because um, I had actually posted about it before and I put comments on Strava, etc. In Edinburgh, when I go running, a lot of the time, like if not every time, I get like wolf whistled or, you know, shouted. So someone will shout something at me out of a car window. Um, it was worth it was even worse for my flatmate who got really intimidated with it. And, and that's actually something that's really important to me when we say like, feel unsafe. Um, I, it, it sounds quite, you know, like we're all intimidated sitting at home being a victim because we're scared and that's totally not the case. You know, we're out there and it's just when you hear things like that, that you realize what the huge amount of stuff that you're doing every time you go outside to kind of mentally prepare yourself for it and to feel safe um, or, you know, to deal with not feeling safe. Um, and this was just like, I, yeah, this was something that really um, happens on every run. So I was like, wow, these women who are really professional athletes have the same experience. And I just wanted to share it. And I rarely share just an article without an introduction. So I wrote a little bit about, oh, yeah, this happens to me running. And then I realized, actually, it happens with paddling, too. But it's a slightly different experience. So I, I'm really, I, I would be interested in exploring a little bit the the differences and also when it happens to you in paddling and, and knowing that you do things like the DW and slalom, um, those uh, paddle sports tend to be in places that I guess are more accessible to the general public. So it's, uh, the DW is on flat water, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And because um, what, what was interesting for me is my own experiences that I've always felt safe in the sport from other people, but the sports that I do and the places I do them are fairly remote. So I'm out of the middle of the sea or I'm up a mountain or I'm on a rock climb. And the, and the environments that I'm active in are the places that I actually do feel safe, but that's because they're not places that are accessible to other people. So I'm really interested in, you know, that was one of the things I think that sparked my interest was to hear somebody actually from a paddle sport saying, when I'm paddling, I do also have experiences that make me feel less than safe. Yeah, so I actually feel pretty much the same as you. Like when I'm in a remote place, I feel safe. So, you know, when I'm saying I feel less safe, for example, in the dark, I don't mean because of the dark. I mean, if I'm in a place that other people might be, in the dark you know it's it's a it's a very different thing um so if i'm in the dark in the forest i feel a lot more safe than if i'm in the dark running in a park or in the city for example um and with paddling it's like as soon as i'm on the river i remember this as a child because i used to go training a lot in my slalom boat just on the local river as soon as i was on the river i felt fine but even as a child you know there had been incidents and um I kept like just on the way from the boathouse to the river. If I was by myself, like I kind of breathe a sigh of relief when I got to the river. Um, and the other thing is like a lot of these things aren't actually 
as much about feeling unsafe while I'm doing the activity because most of the times I'm in the middle of a river or I'm on the sea or on a canal and people can't, you know, whoever is shouting something can't really get to me. Um, but still the fact that they feel entitled to comment is something that would kind of make you feel less respected and therefore less safe in, in other situations. Um, yeah, and a lot of the times it's not, you know, it's not scary comments always. It's not threatening comments necessarily. I mean, I get those too, but sometimes it's just outright silly, like just someone kind of pretending to cheer me on and just going, oh, faster, faster, go faster, which is just, it's, and these people are always male. Like it's not something people do, it's something male people do. <laughs> um, and it just, it's like this feeling entitled to comment on a woman who is just doing her own, you know, minding her own business, doing her training session out there, um, has kind of implications about, you know, feeling entitled to someone else's time and attention, basically. And that then these implications are what really result in not feeling very safe in general. Yeah. So what I'm, sort of picking up there is that this and, and you know it's something that I'm sure like every other woman I have experienced less and I'm getting older which is nice um <laughs> one of the one of the nice things about being over 50 people tend to ignore you um but the you know that I it's a different it's an interesting one isn't it it's that I, I used to make me feel um somewhat belittles is the only way I can think about it it's that it takes a little bit of my dignity to have somebody think that it's okay to um pass comment I, I remember cycling you know people just go things like you know like nice butt or whatever it's you cycle past and I just go that's just not it you know it it might mean it's a compliment but it doesn't feel like that <laughs> no and it's also I think it's really really meant as just a compliment it also just has this weird aftertaste of just kind of feeling entitled to women's bodies, feeling entitled to, you know, judge them, feeling entitled to access them. Um, because even if, you know, if this person genuinely thought, oh, you know, she has a nice butt, I'm going to tell her that it's a nice butt to make her day better, it's, it just doesn't quite add up. So you wouldn't usually compliment somebody if the compliment is genuinely by just shouting after them on in the streets and do you do you think do you find that people um tend to do that more if, if you are being active than if you're just walking down the street is it different? yeah yeah there's definitely a difference yeah and i the only way i can really interpret it right now is that somehow it's still not it's still not our space to be act active in as women, like the public, um, the streets, the roads. And I'm very aware, like this podcast, I mean, we we're briefly talking about it earlier. Um, it's now recorded a couple of days uh, after um, what happened to Sarah Everard and the, the Reclaim the Streets vigils. Um, so it's now kind of moved a bit further, but actually that's just it. Like it's, it's like, public spaces aren't really 
still aren't really the spaces of women by themselves and especially not of women exercising, like using their bodies in a way that's just for them. Mm. Do you do you think that, that there's sort of a, I don't know, I'm just, I'm exploring here because again, like, like you said, my experience of exercise has always been in places that are not public. So, which is great. And, and, you know, some, I, I had a conversation even a couple of days ago with, with a, a guy that I work with who looked at a picture of my son and he was going, Oh God, the stuff you do is so dangerous. And I'm like, no, no, I feel really safe there because there's yeah. no men. <laughs> yep. You've got no idea how safe it is. I'm, I'm in control. Um, and, and which is really interesting that I think that really like cooked his brain a bit as well. But yeah. the, there's a there's something around maybe this idea that as women we exercise because we want to look good for men perhaps yeah, yeah. therefore they feel that, that, that they can have some comment on it yeah rather than that we're exercising because we just want to exercise yeah and it's got nothing to do with losing weight or looking good mm-hmm. um, I think that's a big part of it and also that you know there's still even you know even with men who would kind of contradict it on a surface level, I mean, these things are much deeper ingrained. And I'd also, you know, I'd like to say this is not about blaming anybody or, you know, it's it's a systematic, these are systematic things. And unless we question our own biases, everybody, because women can contribute to the problem too by, you know, by the way they react or don't react to these comments or, you know, even by the way, through the way they interact with men in general, it's an, it's, it's patterns and, um, systems that are just deeply ingrained. And we, we just have to kind of continue to question them. Um, a friend of mine just, um, posted something along the lines on Facebook and then, um, a mutual male friend commented saying, Oh yeah, it's horrible. And I do, this and this and that to kind of contradict it, um, but I still need help with this and that topic, and what could I do? And then my friend was like, well, for example, the way you've communicated this is indicative of a slightly problematic pattern, because you said, oh, I need help with this, and that indicates you need someone to come and help you with it, whereas like all the information is out there, so it's different to saying, I will read up on it. I will, you know, inform myself. I'll learn about this. Um, And then he was really, you know, he got really grumpy and he was like, oh, you're lecturing me now. You know, this feels like you're just deficit oriented. I, and it was just so typical because he wanted, you know, he just, he didn't want to have something picked apart in the way his own communication might, you know, just subconsciously contribute to the problem. He wanted to be praised for what he was already doing. And that's very, you know, it's very understandable. I think we all work like that. You know, we all don't particularly enjoy having our mistakes um, pointed out to us. Um, But, you know, we need to look at it. And this is, you know, discrimination is never, it doesn't face only one group. Um, And the reason why, you know, um, I'm speaking out also about, discrimination against women is I think if we if one group is discriminated against less then that helps all other groups who are also left out but we need to bear in mind that anything we try and do to stop discrimination against certain groups it always has to be intersectional 
it always has to include other marginalized groups. For example, the way the way we communicate um, is is used, you know, or the way the media often communicate is used to kind of pit certain groups against each other. Right now, it's happening. You know, um, sort of headlines are women are angry because of what happened in London. And then you see a lot of men commenting, you know, things like, oh, it's not all men. And also who's talking about the men who get killed. And most of all, I hear like men are vilified now. And it's not about vilifying men. Like so many young men die by suicide. And that's kind of the other side. That is the way this whole way we conceive masculinity, this toxic way masculinity is still conceived harms everybody like it harms women more because I think um being raped and killed is quite a lot worse than just maybe being wrongly judged if you're actually a nice man um so it does have a bit you know I wish there was more sensitivity around when they voice those thought thoughts but in general I can understand it and I just think people need to get back to just realizing we're all in this together because as soon as certain groups are left out and discriminated in a society, it, it actually harms everybody. Like it never actually makes it better. It might make it easier, like simpler, maybe for a while, but ultimately everybody just loses out. Yeah, definitely. And I, I really, I really like that, um, you know, that who else is missing kind of thing, isn't yeah. it? There's a who else, is, who does, else does this impact? And you know, and as a mother of a of a boy, but well, he's not a boy anymore. He's in his thirties. <laughs> he was a boy. Um, I, you know, I was very mindful of the fact that, um, uh, uh, yeah, I used to say that it was it was my role as his mother to um, to bring him up for other women to live with, whether that was as a relationship or you know together. That that um, it, he does laugh about that. You know, so he he let to cook and clean and to go. <laughs> he had a lot of badass women around him. But I think I think um, you know, so that that's really important. And I also was very very um, mindful of the, the statistics being that you know it, boys get beaten up. Oh, they yeah. get beaten up in fights, and it was young men that you know in the mountain rescue. It was young men that I whose bodies I went to retrieve who had committed suicide. However, so and I so I really. I really feel for what you're saying about, you know, that neither side is helped by um, almost just continuing with a maybe an outdated... Just rigidity of gender roles. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Which I think brings us on really nicely to probably a million-dollar question and not something I expect you to have an answer for, but it would be really nice to explore. It's like, where do we go from here? How can we move forwards and... Um, yeah. you know, and, and help have these conversations. Have you got any ideas? I do. I actually, I do have answers. I don't have the answer. I don't think anybody have, but I, I have some ideas. Oh, great. I'd love, to, I'd love to explore those. <clears throat> um, yeah, so first of all, I think it's, you know, about responsibility and accountability. And this is also, you know, everybody needs to chip in with this. Um, and I know recently the conversation has been very much on getting away from making it a women's problem. And I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But I also first want to say, you know, we also need to do our part as women and kind of challenge these expectations and think about them and kind of question 
our own bias. And we also need to be mindful, you know, of other groups that are discriminated against a lot worse than we are, like the, you know, um, the hate crimes related to um, racism against Asian people, for example, in the US just now. And of course, the Black Lives Matter movement. And I think just the solidarity is so important because if you really look at the mechanisms, then <clears throat> as women, like we're often pitted against each other and you don't even have to go as far as to look at other forms of discrimination like racism. You can even just look at women who prefer to wear makeup and women who feel liberated because they don't and they're kind of pitted against each other so I think we just really as women we need to you know be in solidarity with other people who are getting left out and oppressed and also just among ourselves as women um, and by the way I do include trans women in that of course should go without saying but um, sadly um, doesn't still sometimes and um yeah, so this is like we need to take our part and we need to speak out when we can. And by can, I mean, you know, feel safe to do so as well. And I've just made it a rule for myself that when I see something I think is wrong, if I can do so, I will say something. And that includes online, you know, because I think a lot of the things just persist because people just let it slide because they think, oh, one comment isn't going to change anything and I'm going to spend all day on Twitter <laughs> sending angry tweets. And I've actually, like, I've, I'm having quite a, um, a phase on Twitter where I'm just sending a lot of angry tweets and it's it's really, like, I'm questioning why I'm doing it, but it's kind of sharpened my take on things. And I think as women, we kind of go through a, it, you could call it a collective gaslighting of invalidating our own experiences and by arguing and talking about our experiences, I'm feeling so much more sure of saying, oh, yeah, this happens. Like, this is a systematic issue now. It always happens in this particular way. Um, like, I had a guy add me on Facebook just because he had the same surname. And, you know, at first I didn't accept him and I deleted the request, but he kept adding, adding me. And I, just, I was just eventually I was just like, I mean, I could have blocked him, of course, but I was just like, OK, he's got the same surname. Fine, I'll accept him. And then he posted this really weird sexist meme thing. And I put a negative comment. And then he deleted the comment, but I screenshot all my um, you know, I screenshot all my um sexism arguments. And um so I put it again and, and said, like, oh, you keep re-adding me every time I unfriend you. And now the first time I say something critical, um you just delete it, but don't worry, I've screenshot it for you. And I wasn't, you know, trying to change this guy, but it's just seeing, you know, through all the um, destructive patterns. And I'm going to get to why I'm sharing this now, because there's actually an analogy, like this is an analogy, because if, you know, if you're in a bar as a woman uh, and someone offers, a man offers to buy you a drink and you, you know, politely decline and either you're just not interested in the guy or you don't feel like a drink right now, you know, you shouldn't have to explain yourself, but it's very rarely just accepted um, and so you end up, you know, declining it again and declining it again. And then eventually you leave and go somewhere else because this guy just won't stop. And then, you know, so this already means you've given up your space because of this 
you could call it harassment. It is harassment, basically. And you go somewhere else and then he follows you and he just brings you a drink anyway and then kicks up a fuss if you don't take it. And then you're the rude one for not taking the drink because he was so kind and brought you a drink. Um, and so these things just happen like that. And this is also about feeling entitled to a woman's attention. So, you know, I think, and this is obviously, if you if you're safe to do so, then challenge these things and just really speak out and just say, look, I I don't feel um. I don't want this drink. I said I don't want this drink. Just please leave me alone in a in a confident way. And that's not easy because it's so much easier, you know, to take the wolf whistle as a compliment, for example, and just move on. And that's also the advice we get. And I think that really needs to stop. And I think it will change something if lots of women start just speaking out against this. And it also gets easier, you know, start with a low-stakes situation. Don't start at work, for example, when you feel your job is at risk, because it's not easy, but it's like a muscle. You can train it, like the, the courage to just speak up and speak up for others as well, not just yourself, like just when something is wrong. So that's um, what I would like to kind of just put on, on the women's side. Like we, it's not, we're not causing the problem, but we're also contributing to it like everybody else. And we need to do our bit in challenging it. Yeah. Um, Lena, can I, 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 you just, um, I'm, I do, I don't want to interrupt you for very long, but I'm, you know, as a woman, I, I do need to hold my hands up and, and admit that, you know, although I spend most of my life being probably what people would call fairly feisty about, you know, <laughs> not being, you know, again, you know, I work in a really male oriented dominated environment in the mountains and mountain rescue and, and the other stuff that I've done. And I've, I've said, you know, but I've still found sometimes that I get exhausted and that, oh, yeah. and that I end up playing the game because that's how I get by and which, you know, so I am, I am putting my hands up totally to this, but yeah. I also had a brilliant conversation with Lena Patel, who I'm sure, you know, from social media mm-hmm. recently, and I want to talk to, and I, and, and I said to her, you know, I, I we we both agreed that it took us a long time, probably too long, to go. And I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not going to be made feel this uncomfortable and just shut up for an easy life, or because you know I, I somebody's going to fail me on my coach qualification, or I'm not going to get this job. And yeah. then and then what was quite funny is we both said, and then we got really angry, so we just pressed buttons. So we were so <laughs> cross. Yeah. <laughs> I just, it was for me. It was amazing to talk to another woman. Mm-hmm. Who's in that space, you know, and just going, yeah. oh God, we like you're right. We just need to talk to each other. And, and I read something on social media the other day where this guy who works as a plumber, I think, was trying to get some, you know, some new um, trainees to work with him. And and he put an advert out, and they said, oh, you know, are you looking particularly for a man? Why have you said, you know, that they have to mm-hmm. be male? And he said, my wife refuses to let me work with any women. Yeah. Oh, and I just thought this is, you know, it's all this thing wrapped up about how we need to learn to support each other as women as well. Oh, yeah. And also, I mean, how can men be OK with being portrayed as this basic creature who doesn't have any control over, you know, their impulses? That's not I mean, I wouldn't if I if I were a man, I'd, I, I'd be very angry, you know, with that. Because, um, yeah, I mean that's not a nice way to be seen and to be portrayed. And I'm just, that's why I find it a bit ridiculous that 
is usually the same men who are shouting, not all men now, that kind of don't, that participate happily in banter that makes them look like this sort of, I don't know, basic creature who can't look after himself and needs a woman to look after himself. And also, you know, if he's confronted with another pretty woman, he just can't do anything about his urges. And like, I mean, how can men be okay with that? It just paints a bad picture all around. Mm. So I think maybe lots more conversations to just understand each other a bit better. Yeah, and support absolutely. each other a bit more. But, Sorry, I, I'm going to let you continue. <laughs> no, I, I agree though. And this is really important to mention too, because like, if you get burnout trying to speak up to people, that's not helping anybody. So, like, do <laughs> look after yourself when you're, you know, speaking up to people and only do as much as you can do at the time. And it's fine, like, by as you can. I don't mean as you can until you're absolutely exhausted. I just mean, you know, as you can when you're still functional. Because you shouldn't have to spend your time explaining this stuff to strangers on the internet, obviously. And then I think the conversation around, you know, putting the responsibility back where it belongs and that is to the men who commit the crimes or just harass women, um, that's more about, I mean, one factor of that is how it's portrayed in the media because very rarely is a headline like, oh, this man raped this woman. It's usually like women gets, woman gets raped so we don't hear about who's done it. We just hear about this victim. And that's just, and language is very powerful. Like I'm such, a, <laughs> I'm such a, an advocate for um, inclusive language and also just paying attention for how, to how we phrase things. And this might be because um, English isn't even my first language. So I question the structures more and then that makes me go back and question the structures in other languages but like language is really really powerful and so the way these crimes are reported that's where the responsibility needs to be placed back with men that's one aspect of the you know putting the responsibility back where it belongs and saying this isn't a woman's problem this isn't women's problem um and the other aspect is that, you know, as I've said, this is, it's bad for everybody. It's bad for men too. And it's not just women who have problems because of this and who have issues because of this. And we need to kind of work on it together. And men need to speak up too when they see inappropriate stuff said to women. You know, and it's really hard, like with the image of masculinity that's kind of still so strong of kind of, you know, having to know what's right all the time. And like, it's it must be so much pressure and it must be hard to just say, because the insults you get as a man, like I've seen it happening. If you call out, like if you say as a man, oh, I don't quite like this joke. I think it's degrading to women. The, a lot of the time, you know, the other men in the room will laugh and the insults that you get will usually be, you know, um, naming various female um, reproductive parts and um, questioning the masculinity of the person who um, spoke spoke out. And there's actually studies like the more fragile 
someone's ego is, a man's ego is, the more fragile he perceives his own masculinity, which is ridiculous because, you know, whether you're a man or a woman is nobody else's business. It's your business and then it's no one else's business to question it. Um, but to, you know, I'd like to just, if you're a man and you're listening to this, just please speak out on behalf of women too. And so many times when I challenge something, you know, just a joke objectifying women, the comments I get back are like, oh, you don't get the joke, lighten up, it's just a joke, you know, and it's it's not because language is powerful. The way we interact is powerful. If your joke, you know, if you rely on objectifying women to make jokes, then maybe your jokes just aren't very good and maybe you'd be better off keeping them to yourself. So I really think, you know, that's crucial and we need to start, as much as we need to address the big stuff too, we also really need to look at all the small stuff. Um, so that's definitely one thing, like, you know, being an ally, speaking up on behalf of other people. In this case, you know, men speaking up on behalf of women too, but this also goes, you know, if you... Um, if you're a white woman and you see a racist comment made about an Asian woman walking next to you, then don't just let it go unchallenged because that's how this stuff kind of gets perpetuated. And then, yeah, just, <laughs> yeah. Say, it's safe, isn't it? And that's the which, yeah, of course, or call the police even. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole other yeah. Um, topic and, um, yeah, but, um, and I had another, you know, I have another idea, and this is more because this is for coaches. I kind of thought about, you know, on a club level, um, what can we do? And I mean, there are the obvious things like um, training sessions specifically for girls, for example, all that stuff. And I think they have been discussed at great lengths. And, and you know, the consensus is that there's definitely value in it, but it can't be the end solution and it can't be the only solution you know, because it's also a further separation into groups and really we should all get on together. Um, and I think if you're a coach in a club, you're such an important role model and you also have some power over shaping the atmosphere and the culture at that club. And I've worked with bigger teams and what I've really found is that a no blame culture when it comes to mistakes just shifts so much. If not, you know, I, I'm so tempted to say everything. So if you can make mistakes and, you know, be accountable for them, but not be blamed for them or looked down on for them because everybody makes mistakes. It's not a reflection of your quality as a coach or as a person or, you know, a sports person. So if one of the people on your team makes a mistake it's so important how you react to that and you can even you know have an open conversation about this like how do we want to handle mistakes and questions at this club and if there's a no blame culture then that just changes the whole atmosphere and it's good if you know when you make a mistake and you're it doesn't question your whole personhood that will help shift the culture to make it easier for everybody to admit their unconscious bias as well and also to take responsibility because it's much easier to say oh yeah my mistake I made a mistake here when you know 
you know, you you'll be held responsible for the mistake, but you won't blame, won't be blamed, you won't be ostracized, like all that sort of stuff. Um, and questions is such an important one because I, I see it so many times, you know, in clubs, like when somebody forgets where something is or um, doesn't remember how to tie the boats to the roof. The way these questions are dealt with aren't always constructive. Like very often the, that person is ridiculed and it's always like saying, oh, we're just doing it in good nature. You know, you have to kind of be tough for the world and this is just how the world is. But like if we keep saying this is just how the world is, then, you know, how is it supposed to change? And and it's kind of very often I have this conversation and it's like, oh, we can't mollycoddle everyone. But it can't really be, you know, why why this urge to describe being respectful and kind to people as mollycoddling? Like something is really, really wrong with that. Um, and so, you know, it's important to think along these lines because that's how we can learn. Like that's how especially because the concept, this toxic concept of masculinity is so tied in with the idea of, you know, having to know the way, having to know what to do in any given situation, which is, you know, just not possible. Um, how questions are treated, I think, is absolutely central. And then, I mean, this is also, I mean, this is just a side note, but like, this also takes care of neurodiverse people for example because they might need to be told things in a different way and so it just generally creates um a much better atmosphere for people to ask questions or like someone you know who isn't uh, isn't able-bodied for example might need other pieces of information and this just so this just liberates if you if you have a good culture in your club around questions it just liberates everybody um and then you know obviously it makes everybody feel safer too yeah lena i absolutely love that i love the idea as well of uh, you know that we've traditionally there's been this idea that you know it's like I'm not bullying you. I'm I'm teaching you to deal with reality, kind of thing. Yeah, it's a cutthroat world out there. But actually, maybe in clubs and maybe coaches, one of the things that they really do have is the opportunity to create um, a learning environment that it, you know they really talk about creating environments that are just not about sport, but an environment in which you know what a what a wonderful thing to be able to have a really supportive. Um, group of people who are going to help you in those areas of life that maybe aren't as nice and 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 aren't as um you know supportive yeah and and I also think so yeah go on and it's even you know it's it's proved it's proven that people can deal with the tough world out there better if they have space uh safe yeah. spaces they can go back to absolutely and p and those strong relationships and and maybe one of the things that we can do in sports and that the you know the coaches that are listening to this that you can do is start to create those environments where you know the, you, you've got that safe to fail you can you can make mistakes there's an openness mm. you can discuss things you have women also engaged and involved in the activities you're doing so they're not yeah. male only as much as possible because that then gives an opportunity i think a lot of these um, attitudes or a misunderstanding uh, you know it's like yeah. people are playing a, a role that they think they should play in order to survive in society and if we yeah. change that narrative that, yeah. that idea of language before culture language before you mm -hmm. know, that, that language is so important we can change that narrative in those spaces that we are able to 
um, shape and coaches have a lot of control over shaping a lot most coaches have a lot of control over shaping the environments that, that they they're involved in yeah um, yeah and I love that and that that then um also the, you know the things that are going to make a difference for women are the mm-hmm. same things that are going to make a difference to people who um like you say that, that you've got cognitive diversity you've got racial diversity you've got abilities and disabilities and Absolutely. you know everything else fits in there because it's the same environment that they that everybody needs in yeah. an individual and including men exactly yes including including men, yes. <laughs> and I like that you've mentioned the safe to fail because actually that's been linked to you know better success in sports as well so this is actually even going to lead to better outcomes in sports yeah and the challenge is it's a cultural shift isn't it yeah it's worth doing like you say if yeah. it means you know and and also that, that that's you know so you most sporting organizations want to support the development of the individuals in there as well as their athletic development mm-hmm. or sports development so it's kind of you know potentially it's a win-win-win yeah 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 and then just you know I mean my time of being coached as a teenage girl that's quite a while ago now but I remember certain incidents and I I would just like to quickly share them because I think hopefully then um, avoid doing similar things for example when I was just you know I was growing a, a female shape like I was growing breasts and apparently I was sitting like with my arms kind of at a table with my arms in front of my chest and you know you don't have to comment on that as a coach and my coach at the time said just and he meant it as a joke you know he said oh Lena's protecting herself again and I was just absolutely mortified because my body was changing and you know it was a new thing and people were staring at it and it's not comfortable and like please don't make it worse with them comments like that um yeah uh, there was someone something else I really wanted to think about oh yeah like comments on I got a comment that I don't need weights to do squats because you know um because I have breasts yeah Um, which is really inappropriate yeah or like support you know if 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 the girls in your training group call somebody out support them so I've had comments on the underwear I was wearing when training and it wasn't okay. And I called out the guy who said something. Um, and, you know, I just wish a coach had just stood beside me, but he was just like, oh, they're having an argument and kind of went away, which was a bit odd. And then eating disorders is such a big topic because we're like, this is also linked to giving women space. Like they're shrinking themselves down or expected to shrink themselves down. And a lot of times fitness is like um, equalized with being thin. And that's not always the case. And especially during puberty, um, it's much more important to just take care of general well-being. And eating disorders in sports are such a real thing. And it's it's linked. It's it's all linked to the discrimination. So um, yeah, that's just I think coaches really should be um, should inform themselves about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that like you say, that's a whole other subject, isn't it? Which is oh, yeah. heartbreaking. I've had t- two friends of mine whose daughters have been hospitalised with anorexia, which is terrifying. Mm-hmm. And and actually, just sort of 
as we as we wrap up i think um i, I did a podcast uh, last year where we um, we looked at it was actually for sort of looking at a research paper and it was um karen lambert's one on um you know finding pleasure in movements and what what fascinated me in exploring that was the number of women who drop out of sport because they are encouraged to see it as a way of looking attractive for men, which I think probably yeah. perpetuates this whole issue as well on both sides. But it but one of the other sides to that is that you know that that women stopped partaking in sports if they felt that they weren't going to look attractive. And then and then I ended up talking to quite a few women who who were gay and they said, Oh, we love sport because we never cared whether men thought we were attractive. And that was, I was like, Oh my goodness. I never even thought about that. Yeah. So there's, there's loads of other stuff. I'm just kind of throwing into the pause. Oh yeah. <laughs> some other stuff in, in there that it's so important yeah. that, that, you know, for your girls, not just, not just in, you know, being feeling unsafe and sexualized, but actually that's, there's more, that there are other implications. It's, you know, mm-hmm. we as women, um, I think it's important that we learn to love to move. We're, both, we're human beings as well. We, we've evolved to move. It's important to our our health and welfare as well. And it, and we shouldn't just be partaking in sport because it's going to make us thinner or more attractive or healthier, yeah. but because it's yeah. something that we're passionate about. Mm-hmm. And I think some of this, you know, I think for me that's where some of those comments start to... <clears throat> Uh, the ch- sort of ch- I, I mean I'm going to share this and I'm not going to say who it is but one of the things that broke my heart probably about oh 10 years ago somebody very senior in a sport wrote on social media um women who get involved in outdoor pursuits either want a man or want to be a man I yeah and I, I, mean, I've had a I hope they blush <laughs> pardon I said I'm not going to name them but if they ever listen to this I hope they feel their collars being felt oh yeah I mean I've had a really like senior coach say to me as well you know I was kind of I'd been quite good at slalom and then I changed to um you know from the um juniors to senior level and I just didn't cut it anymore competitively you know I just and I was like talking to this quite senior coach and I said yeah um I mean I shouldn't really be competing anymore. And that's a whole different problem, but I just can't stop because I just enjoy it so much. And instead of saying, that's awesome that you enjoy it, you know, why, why should that mean you, you, you should stop competing? He was like, Oh yeah, don't worry. You will probably be able to stop once you meet a nice man. Outrageous. And I think those things we need to call out as well. Those Absolutely. Say, it's that subtle language on the edges. Mm-hmm. That, uh, and that we're all complicit. So I'm definitely, you know, I'm saying, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I, I agree with, I absolutely agree with what you said, but I also, I also know that as a woman, um, you know, and, and certainly when I was younger, um, uh, if I, you know, just felt it was too exhausting to, yeah. <laughs> to be. <laughs> um, yeah. And and I also you know I used to think uh, you know I've had people say oh, you've got a bad attitude you know and now I just think yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm right I have <laughs> yeah you're a, you're annoying you're an obnoxious obnoxious young lady I get called a lot and I now wear it like a badge of honor but that's yeah. easier to do when you have a bit of life experience kind of yeah and it's certainly easier to do when you're when you're yeah. when I was younger I found it hard. yeah yeah I'm um, Lena. Uh, Thank you so much. I mean, if there's anything else you would like to add, that would be amazing. And but thank you so much for your time. <laughs> and it's been fascinating. 
It's been really fun. Thanks. Yeah, I have one tiny thing that I'd like to add because I always, if you add, if you ask me to add something, I always add something. Um, <laughs> and that's just like this idea of being nice as a girl, um, that you're supposed to be nice, and girls are actually taught, you know, literally, but also kind of very subtly as well, that being nice is the most important thing, and it's more important even than feeling safe. And I think it's the reason why a lot of girls won't speak up right away if they're not feeling safe in a situation. Um, and that in itself is a problem. But also, yeah. I mean, on, in this whole thing, I've also said, like, be kind to each other. And I just want to point out that kindness is not the same as being nice. And you have to be kind to yourself first. And that's also the message if you're coaching young people that you should yeah. give them, you know, not just say, oh, be nice. Because that's also always used to dismiss things and dismiss women and girls' voices. But um, kindness is a whole different thing, and that's what people should focus on. Yeah, yeah, good, very, yeah, good point. And I think that comes back to as well that you know, as a parent and as a mother, we have so much influence in um, the way in which we bring up our children, and just those subtle yeah. messages, differences, yeah. and the things that we say, even if we do it to protect, mm -hmm. to, to yeah. reflect, and be mindful of yeah. what those subliminal messages are in the in the way in which we we speak yeah and just listen you know listen to the people who say like something is wrong here even if they say i can't quite pin it down but something is wrong you know explore it together rather than just dismissing it yeah great thank you so much <laughs> lena it's been so nice talking to you and um i'm really looking forward to actually catching up with you i can't wait till we, we can we go out and meet people again for a week yeah <laughs> just go for a paddle like i just so miss these group paddles and yeah yeah being I'm on really the i am so looking forward to being in a surf gear on the first or fourth with you that'll be brilliant yes. yes and hopefully having a conversation about um how things have moved on <laughs> yep. Yep. and they have that's also they have they are moving on but like it's just not there yet and we can't stop <laughs> yeah yeah. It's, good to, it's good to have these conversations. I think for people to just be able to listen to someone Absolutely. else's lived experience is so important. So I'm going to thank you very much again. Thank you so much for sharing You're your welcome. experience, for being honest and open and brave and um, and principled. And that is wonderful. Please never change. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for having me as well. Join us at ukcoaching.org. Whatever you're doing to help people be active and improve, we can help you deliver great coaching experiences at a time to suit you.